In Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, through Matthew 28, verse 11, we see the scriptures about the week that changed the world. The week that changed the world. I'm not going to read all eight of those chapters, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. Today, when you go home, read chapter 21. On Monday, read chapter 22, and so on and so forth. And then next Sunday, read chapter 28. You will have covered the week that changed the world, and then you will change the, read the event that changed the world. If you'll do that next week, and it'll be a great blessing to you. When I think of these passages of Scripture, chapter 21 through 28, I'm reminded of the little fourth grade boy who teacher asked him one day, Johnny, what are you giving your report on? And the little boy popped up and he said, Oh, teacher, that's easy. I'm writing on the world and everything that's in it. Well, I would propose to you this morning that these eight chapters are bigger than the world. They're bigger than anything in it. They are the most important chapters that have ever been written. They're the most beloved story of all time. They're the most preached about story in history. They're the most studied words in history. They're the most read words in history. They're the most has been written about these words than any other words in history. They're the most most life-changing words. They're the most rejected words, and they're the most accepted words that were ever written. These words tell us about the week that changed our world. Let's begin with Sunday, today. Holy Week consisted of this week starting on Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. On Friday, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. And the next day on the Sabbath, which was Saturday, he, he was spent in quiet rest and, and relaxation. And then the day that was appointed Throughout all eternity, the day in which Jesus would present himself to the people of the world as God's Messiah. For Jesus, all reserve was over. That next day, he would enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and enter it, not as an ordinary person, but he would enter it as the Savior of the world. Now, I just want us to look at this for a minute or two. I want to notice something about Palm Sunday. First was the preparation. Second was the procession. Third was the praise. And fourth was the question. Now, there's four good sermons for you right there, but I'm going to condense them into about four or five minutes. First of all, notice the procession. Jesus 
was preparing to enter Jerusalem on the Passover, the week, or the week before the Passover. In chapter 21, verse 1, it says, He sent His disciples to His friends in Bethpage. Bethpage was about two, uh, two miles or so beyond Bethany. And then Bethany came, and it was about a mile or so to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, you would go down halfway through. Uh, you would get down to the place where Jesus prayed over the city of Jerusalem that day. Then you would go around the Garden of Gethsemane, past the place now where the church of, of, of um, St. Stephen's is, where it was believed that Stephen was, was stoned. Then take a left, go up and go through the Golden Gate, which you can now no longer enter because it's been closed. But Jesus was ready to come. And isn't it interesting, the preparation that was made, was it billions of years ago? Was it a year before? Was it a few days before Jesus sat down with some friends and said, in a few days, a couple people are going to come and they're going to ask for your donkey. And when they say, our Lord has need of it, they, you say, they will give it to him. And so they take the donkey and they go into, into uh Bethany, where the procession begins. And in Zechariah 9, 9, as we read, it says, Behold your king come. Jesus declares himself as the king of kings. In the book of John, five times, Jesus says, My time has not yet come. But in his last prayer, for, him, for uh, prayer in gathering with his disciples during this week, in John chapter 16, he prays and he says, Father, my time has come. The time has come for Jesus to share with the world that he is the Messiah. And so we see the, the uh, preparation, not just something that happened, something that was carefully planned. And then we see the procession in verses 8 and 9. Some would, that day, they were, they were just thousands of people there for the Passover, people from all over the world. Some would accept him. Some would reject him. Not much has changed to this day. But we read they were stirred, and they removed their garments and made a red carpet out of it, and they waved their palm branches. This was the hour these people had looked for. The Messiah had come. The, a new age had dawned. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, we read, As he approached the city, he wept over it. I've had the opportunity to walk down from the top of the Mount of Olives to the Golden Gate a dozen or more times. And every time I do, I always stop at that little, it's, it's a little chapel halfway down. And in that chapel, it's shaped like a tear. You go into the chapel and... If you stand, you cannot see the city. But if you kneel, you can see the walls of Jerusalem and the city of old Jerusalem. That was the point where Jesus' heart was broken for these people because he knew what they were going to do. But not only was there the procession, but there was the praise. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The king had come. 
And here is the point. People did not see him as a, they wanted a military leader, not a savior. And before the week was over, they would reject him. Now I want you to notice not only the preparation and the procession and the praise, but I want you to notice the questions. I couldn't think of a P for the word question, so I'm just going to put a Q in there. But in chapter 21, verse 10, it says, someone asked, who is this? Somebody answered, he's a prophet from Nazareth. Someone else answered, asked in chapter 22, verse 42, who is this? And someone answered, oh, he's the son of David. But the question had already been asked. At Caesarea Philippi, which is one of my favorite places in Israel, at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus sat down with his disciples one day and he looked them in their eye, looked them in the eye, and he said, Who do men say that I am? And somebody popped up and said, He's, you, They say you're Jeremiah. They say you're Elijah. They say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? It was quiet for a minute. And then Peter, he speaks up and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he had already been recognized by some, but he had not been recognized by all. Jesus was showing himself on Palm Sunday as the Savior of the world. So much could be said about that. So much could be preached about that. Books have been written on that. But let's move on to the rest of the week. In... uh, The next couple of days, Jesus, on Monday and Tuesday, would teach many lessons. On Monday, he cursed the fig tree. A great lesson to that. He went into the temple and cast out the money changers. And then as you read the uh, chapters 22 and chapter 23, there are all kinds of parables. A parable is a story with a meaningful application. And Jesus gave a lot of stories and millions of sermons have been preached on them. But let's move on. It's now Wednesday. And he goes with his disciples to the top of the Mount of Olives. And for whatever reason, he spends chapter 24 and chapter 25 helping them to understand that whatever is going to happen in the next couple of days, it's not the end of the thing. Jesus will return. And so in chapter 24, we have what we call the Olivet Discourse and his teachings. And in chapter 25, we have the the parable of the virgins and several other illustrations of what is going to happen to people that aren't prepared when he returns. What an interesting spot to pause and an interesting time to make sure that the disciples knew that when They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't understand what was going to happen. But when they did grasp it, they knew that it was not the end. In fact, I think the second coming of Jesus Christ is taught more in the Bible than maybe any other topic. But here, he wanted to assure them that the kingdom is not going to stop in two days. But it's just the beginning. And then we move on to to, uh, Thursday, Maudie Thursday. 
Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room. And I don't need to say much about this because thanks to Ann Horseman and some of her her helpers and workers, this church has probably done a better job of teaching about what took place on that Thursday night than any other church I've ever known of. You're blessed to have had this teaching. But it's that night that Jesus looks the Judas in the eye and he said, tonight, today, someone, one of you are going to betray me. I don't know how long it was, a few minutes, a few hours. Judas gets up, he walks out of the room, and the plot to betray Jesus is launched. And Judas is given 30 pieces of silver. And then there was Friday and Saturday where the plot was carried out. It's interesting. Many years ago, I became interested in a black preacher by the name of S.M. Lockridge. Anybody ever heard of him? S.M. Lockridge... Uh, actually, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. That's his name. I, I began to listen to his sermons because he was just such a powerful preacher. And uh, one day in his sermon, he said, when I was a boy, my house burned down. And all the kids said, oh, here comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Noshach. <laughs> but a great preacher. And let me just tell you, if you don't believe I'm, what a preacher he was, Sometime this week, even today, go home, get online, and go to YouTube and type in Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. And listen to this great man preach perhaps the greatest sermon that I've ever heard. And what I want to do this morning is borrow a few lines from him so that you can understand what Good Friday is all about. He begins preaching his sermon by saying, it's Friday. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is crying her eyes out. That's her son up there on the cross. He's dying the agonizing death of crucifixion as a criminal, but it's only Friday. Let me stop to just say something that I recognized one day. Here is a broken-hearted mother standing at the cross, watching her son die. If anyone could put it into it, it was Mary. She could have spoke up and said, oh, he's a fraud. He was not born of a virgin. And the whole story is just a hoax. But no, she knelt there with tears coming down her eyes at the cross while her son died. If the story had been different, surely she would have told the truth. But the truth was being revealed. Then the apostles, S.M. Lockridge goes on to say, the apostles were really down and out. Jesus was their leader. He was being killed by evil men. But it's Friday. It's Friday. Jesus is arrested in the garden where he was praying. It's Friday. The disciples are hiding and Peter's denying that he knows the Lord. It's Friday. Jesus is standing before the high priest. It's Friday. Jesus is beaten and mocked and spit upon. It's Friday. Those Roman soldiers 
are flogging our Lord with a leather scourge that has bits and bones and grass and metal tearing at his flesh. It's Friday. The Son of Man stands firm as they press the crown of thorns down his brow. It's Friday. See him walking to Calvary, the blood dripping from his body. See the cross crashing down on his back as he stumbles beneath the load. It's Friday. See the Roman soldiers driving the nails into his feet and hands of my Lord. Hear him cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross, bloody and dying. It's Friday. The sky grows dark. The earth begins to tremble. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Holy God, who will not abide with sin, pours out his wrath on this perfect sacrificial lamb who cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And that horrible day 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, the only begotten of God, the only perfect man, died on the cross of Calvary. Satan thought he had won the victory. Surely he had destroyed the Son of God. And finally he had disproved prophecy and God had uttered in the garden the one who was crushed and his head had been destroyed. The devil thought he had won. You thought you could outwit me, the devil said, but I got you now. But it's Friday. It's Friday, and the evil has triumphed over good. Jesus is dying there on the cross and turned the world upside down. This shouldn't have happened, but it's Friday. And if you want to know who got the best end of the deal. I would suggest that next Sunday, if at all possible, you come to this church and hear the sermon by the Reverend Dr. John Wesley White. And he will share with you what happened. All I can say to you this morning to give you a little hint, it was the greatest miracle in the history of the world. Now, let me conclude because of the greatest week in history, God was not only able to change the world, but now he can change you and he can change me. He changed the calendar. Before this time, it was B.C., before Christ. Now it's A.D. We live in 2023 A.D., the Lord year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did he change the calendar, there's so many things he changed. But the thing I want to tell you this morning is the most exciting thing about the week that changed the world was not the historical changes, but the changes he brings to people who believe in this chap- these chapters, who follow these chapters, who accept these chapters. It was 2007. I received a letter in the mail from a man my age. Actually, we had the same birth date. He was a black man incarcerated. John had been in prison for most of his life. From age 16 until age about 
50 or 60, however he was when I received that letter. He had spent most of his time in prison committing just about every kind of crime imaginable. He had no family because his family had rejected him as hopeless. He had no loved ones because no one cared about him. He had no friends. He had nothing. And he wrote me this letter. I later discovered that he... I later discovered that he had no money, but he was the trustee on his floor in the prison. And because of it, he got an extra meal at lunchtime. And that particular day, they were, they were having hamburgers. And he traded his hamburger for a stamp. And he wrote me. He wrote me a letter and he said, Sam, our life is just messed up. I, 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 there's no hope for me. But someone here in the prison told me about a pastor who could share with him how he could come and have a change in his life. And so I began to visit John. I began to go see him. John, who had been a Black Panther Muslim. John, who had committed just about every sin known to man. John, who was unloved, uncared, wrote, and we began to visit For years, I visited John. I prayed for John. I called John. I sent him money so that he could get snacks during the month out of the canteen because he had never had any money in all the years, in many of the years that he was in prison. But something happened to John. The God that changes lives came into his life while he was there in that prison in Greensboro, North Carolina. In the darkest of places, in the worst of lives, John opened his heart to Jesus Christ. And he became a man of God. He became a prophet of God. He told me once, he said, God has called me to be a minister to the people in this prison who have nobody. And John began to share and love and help and work. He became a prophet in a prison. He wrote me, Nearly every week. I used, to, I used to save those letters, and I think I still have them, thinking that someday I need to write a book about John. Because if God could change John, God could change anybody. If God could turn his life around, God could turn anybody's life around. And on March the 30th, 2011, I received this letter from John, and I read one paragraph. Life in prison is so easy when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I've walked a lot of places, but my walk with Jesus is by far the best I've ever had. I no longer worry about going back to the old world, for I know that when my job is done, He will place me wherever He needs me. Peace of mind is a value to be treasured and only comes from God. Let me share one more story and then I'll conclude. It was the summer. It was the summer of 2014. A young teenager who had never been to church before, except maybe maybe four times, accidentally, through fate, through God, 
call it whatever you want, accidentally ended up in a church service on Sunday morning. The preacher preached. And uh, at the end of the service came down to that young man and said, Son, would you like to go to heaven? The young boy, not being smart alecky, but thinking that he was a Christian because he was born in the United States, he had never robbed a bank, and he didn't use God's name in vain too much, said, no, thank you. I'm not interested in going forward. And then the minister turned around and began to walk away, and he said, wait a minute. Is that all I have to do to be a Christian is go down? I don't know exactly what the words were that were said, but he followed that minister down, went down to the front of the church, knelt and prayed and, and, and prayed a prayer that they told him to pray. He had never prayed a prayer. He had never known a Christian. None of his family was Christian. None of his friends were Christian. Nobody he knew was Christian. All he, 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 he never read the Bible. He knew no scriptures in the Bible. Nothing. But I want to tell you, something happened to that young 14-year-old boy that day. And he changed. He changed mightily. And who would have known? Who would have known that one year after that experience, he was left homeless, had no place to go, nowhere to live, For all intents and purpose, his life was about to come to an end. And the pastor of that church, hearing from God, said, take him in. Let him come live with you. And he did. That next summer, in a youth camp, much like what they're going to be doing in Spain and all over Spain to try to touch young people. He was called to preach. He attended Bible college, college and seminaries, and became a minister of the gospel, pastoring for over 45 years and doing evangelism in several different continents. And some way, how along the way, he had two sons. One of those sons is the pastor of this church and a blessing to so many of you. When I sort of took a leave of absence, which ended up in retirement 10 years ago, when I came back, when Wesley moved here, I came back and I was going to travel and go see. For six months, for in a year, I was gone. I went to see people I'd known and people, friends that I'd had that I had not seen. And one of the people I wanted to go see was Lucius Hawes. Lucius Hawes, a lawyer in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, had been one of my best friends and one of my drinking buddies and one of the guys I hanged out with and got in trouble with. And I wanted to go see Lucius Hawes. I met him there at his office in, in, in uh, Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And the first thing he said to me, he said, Sam, it's so good to see you. He said, the thing I remember about you, and to this date, I still say it, when you changed, you changed more than any person that I've ever known. That young man did not know 
that 50 some odd years before, I discovered the Christ that changed the world. And I just want to ask you this morning, how about you? Have you had that kind of experience? And, and, and when, I, when I went down forward in that church, I did not know one passage of Scripture. I did not know what I was doing. I had no idea what was going on. But I do know this. From the day I left that church, I have never been the same, never wanted anything more than God in my life. How about you? This week, Holy Week, will you let God just work in your life, and touch your life. And maybe you've never had that change. Maybe you've never believed. I was talking to someone not too long ago who, who's living the Christian life but doesn't believe in Jesus. And I said, why don't you just believe? Why don't you just believe? You're living the life. You're living closer to God, what I think God would want a person to live than anybody I know. He says, no, I can't believe. Do you really believe that this passage, the Messiah, came into the world.